grab our seats. If you are visiting with us today, I can see a few visitors around. Thanks so much for coming and being a part of our church today. It's good to greet you. We do have a welcome pack for you, which is just out through the door. There's a welcome desk on the right-hand side. Pick one of them up. It's got some leaflets in about who we are, what we're about. If you've got any questions, then um, come and ask us. We'd love to get to know you and say hello and get to meet you. All right, just one other thing on the bulletins. Well, it says that it's fellowship groups this week. It's actually life group this week. It's just back to your normal life groups. So all you ladies that were looking forward to being together, you will be. Just the blokes will be there as well. And they uh, arrive this week, and that will be wonderful. Okay, let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. In two weeks' time, as a local church, we're going to be taking up our Go Forward Fund. Now, you should have had one of these in your bulletin on the way in. Did you all get one of these? Why don't you take them out from your, wherever you've, you know, put them. Hopefully you haven't thrown them away just yet. So get them out. Let me just talk this through a moment. We introduced this at the church family meeting um, two weeks ago. But this is what we're going to be giving to. We're going to be taking up a special offering on the first Sunday in March, so March the 2nd. And you can either give as a one-off on that morning, or you can give, start to give monthly, or you can do both. Whatever actually just works for you guys. And that money is going to be sent to two different things. The whole premise is building locally and helping internationally. 50% of what you give will be given to building locally. So the new website is what we're going to be taking out of that fund, hopefully, and actually starting to put that together. The actual artwork that I've seen so far is absolutely amazing. So it, it, it's really good and really exciting what Jimmy's putting together for us. It's also going to go towards new offices, so we can step up into that. We've moved home this last week, and believe me, we will not get three people in our new family office. So that isn't going to work anymore. We need to get proper offices. And then all being well, new Sunday morning facility which will be happening, God willing, the middle of this year, Fox Valley Community Center in Warunga. If that pulls off, then we have just done amazingly well because it's a wonderful facility. It will just provide just a wonderful opportunity for us to, I think, bed down a little bit more fully prior to trying to do a long-term lease somewhere that we can do everything in. Our hope would obviously be to use it for a Sunday. God willing, our hope would be to use it midweeks for staff and also for teens if we can actually pull that off as well. It's a really amazing facility. So that's where 50% of the fund is going to go to. And that alone, if you're a musician or on setup, you are going to give like you've never known just because there won't be any more trailer should that pull off. And then helping internationally, the other 50% is going to go international. We just really felt the Lord put on our hearts a leadership team that even in a go-forward fund where we do require money for those things, we, we didn't want to keep it all to ourselves. We want to be the type of local church that is helping the poor and expanding the work of the gospel around the world. So we decided to put 50% of what you give towards that. So 25% is going to go to international care ministries which is helping the ultra-poor in the Philippines. Just an amazing work. I just think what they're doing is absolutely wonderful. And, and I've seen a lot of mission stuff over many years, and I really think what they're putting together through local churches is, is really, really good and something that I'm excited about giving to personally. And then the other 25% is going to go to Sovereign Grace Global Missions, which is what we prayed for today. It's those five initiatives into those countries, so Cuba, South Korea, Zambia, the Philippines, and Mexico. That's where we're looking to go. I think to really pull this off, and we're really aiming for at least $60,000 into that fund for us to be able to fund what we actually want to do 
Ollie thinks we're going to get 120,000. So if we do, congratulate him. If we don't, just know that I was only looking for 60. Okay? So. But we do want to give. We do want to use this as an opportunity. And that's why today I want to talk to us about our money. See, we never want to, as a local church and as a leadership, start to put forward offerings without teaching on it and reminding us theologically. And we don't want to be ashamed of that. You know, as I seek to bring the whole counsel of God to the congregation, we can't avoid sensitive issues like money. We have to look at what does the Bible say about these things so we can be encouraged, so that we can quicken, so that we can be really built up in the Lord when it comes to what giving really is as biblically defined. And that's why we find ourselves this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm just going to read three verses for us, and then we're going to exposit them together. So let's read from verse 6 through to the end of verse 8. It's the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthians, and he says as follows. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up in his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to the topic of money, Lord, we recognize that you say, if you spoke 15% of the words recorded for us in Scripture about this issue, about money and finances. So, Lord, would we not grow weary then or concerned when money is brought up in our congregation, but would we soak ourselves in your words? And Holy Spirit, would you speak to us this morning? Would you open our eyes to behold what you're saying here? And would we be addressed by you our King. In Jesus' name, amen. Just last week, Emma and I and the kids, we, we moved house. And that, that process actually started about six months ago, of moving from Hornsby to either Cherry Brook or West Bennett Hills or wherever we could find somewhere that was still close enough to serve the church, and, but at the same time close enough to go to the school in Dural and, and really just find a home that that we could really call home for ourselves, something that suited us as a family. And so we sat down, really starting to make a wish list, and we realized there's a number of things we needed. We needed a certain amount of bedrooms. We needed two rooms downstairs so that when we have big groups over, the kids don't just have to go to their bedrooms, which increasingly is awkward. You want them to find a place where they don't feel like they're kicked out of their home, where everybody, somebody arrives. And they added to this list, so we, we put a number of things down, garage, our double garage, we've barely got anything in it that we own, it's all the church's stuff that's floor to ceiling in our garage at the moment. And the kids saw this list and they added to the list a pool. We want a pool, and I'm thinking, how, I'm not sure how we're going to use that for the kingdom, um, but you know, you, you really desire a pool, so we just put it at the bottom, kind of in jest. We said, you know, if we find a place that happens to have a pool as well, then for sure, and we'll, we'll see what we can do, with no intention to actually find one whatsoever, because we didn't think that would be possible. And we looked at a few properties, and, and, and they weren't just the right fit for us. We looked at one property we didn't actually get, and then we saw the property that we live in now, and it had, it had everything. It had the rooms downstairs, it had the bedrooms, it had an home office, and it had this huge pool. 
So we're like, well, thank you, Jesus. Let's give it a go. Let's see if we can actually pull this off. I don't like swimming. So for me, it wasn't a big deal. All I'm going to be doing is scooping leaves. But the kids wanted to get this, this pool. And so we went for the house and we got the house. And on the first day, the removalists are still bringing in the boxes. And the kids are now running through the boxes in their pants to get into the pool. You know what I'm saying? They just want to be in this pool. And they went crazy in the pool. They're absolutely loving it. They've been like fish ever since. I don't, I don't think they're going to even need their bedrooms. They just seem to live in the pool. And, and that's been a lot of fun for us. And I scoop the leaves and they swim. And so far, it, it's been a great experience. And I'll never forget, I think, that first day when we moved in. Because to see my kids jumping in that pool and enjoying it so much, for me as a dad, I just loved that moment. And I was aware, you know what, you guys have moved with me to plant a church on the other side of the world. You get a pool and see this as part of God's grace to you, God's blessing to you. I will scoop the leaves, you, you swim. And the reason why I think that brought me so much joy is because for all of us, for me as a dad and for all of us individuals, there is always great joy in bringing pleasure to those we love, isn't it? When we really love people and we get to bring them pleasure, there is great joy in that. Whoever they are and whoever we are, there is joy in that. And that is why as Christians, I think, Our ears need to prick up when we come across words like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 because it's here in this text that we discover what God loves. We love God and we have an opportunity to bring him pleasure. And right here Paul tells us how we do that, how we can bring the one we love pleasure. And he says it very clearly in chapter 9 verse 7, for God loves a cheerful giver. Isn't that wonderful? We have an opportunity as Christians to do something in our lives that the maker of heaven and earth says, I love that. I love it when you do that. And that's what this text then is really all about. See, there are many reasons biblically defined, I think, why to give. Giving gives us the opportunity to point our hearts to things above. That's what we learn in Matthew chapter 6. For where your treasure is, there is your heart. And so when we give, we have the opportunity to point our hearts to things above through giving our treasures to things above. In the same chapter, we learn that the the privilege of when we do that, we get to store up treasures in heaven. There is an eternal reward, which I think is scandalous grace. But it's true. You know, you may think that when you arrive at heaven, that everybody just gets the same. That's not true. It's not like traveling economy class with Qantas. You don't all arrive and here's your bag, welcome to heaven. No, it's clear that you get different things. There are different rewards going on, different treasures, depending on what we've done in this lifetime. And the Bible just says that unashamedly. It's not embarrassed about that. It's like, store treasures up in heaven, not in this earth. For where your treasure is, there is your heart. Giving affords us that opportunity to do that. Giving also gives us the opportunity to trust God, doesn't it? To actually trust God with our finances. We were talking about it just like last night in one of our leaders' care groups. Just the challenges. You think about retirement and all the different things. And the temptation is to keep everything you can possibly get to care for yourself. And yet giving gives us that opportunity to say, you know what? Lord, I trust you. I want you to care for my retirement. I want you to care for my long-term plans. In Matthew 12, we see then that wonderful story of the widow no welfare, 
No government protecting her. And everything she has, two mites, the smallest coins that you can get, she takes them to the temple and she puts them in as an expression that, Lord, I trust you. You will care for my needs. Giving gives us the opportunity to say that to the Lord, that we trust him. And giving, when done cheerfully, gives us the opportunity to do something that God loves. The very thing we learn about here in chapter 9, verse 7. Now, by way of background to this text, because the background is important, the background to this text actually starts a year earlier to this letter being written. A year earlier, the Corinthians have decided that they are going to take up an offering for the Jerusalem Christians. Christians living in Jerusalem are struggling financially. There is persecution. There is famine. And so the Corinthian church have gathered together just like we do. And they've decided we want to help those Christians in Jerusalem. And now a year later, Paul is writing to them to say, you know what? I'm coming. (laughs) I'm coming for the offering that you said you had set aside. And I'm on my way. And I'm going to come and I'm going to pick up that offering. And I'm going to take it to Jerusalem for you so we can bless the Christians there. So one year before Paul pens this letter, the Corinthians agree to that. And Paul now writes to them to remind them of their commitment. And also inform them that he's coming for the gift. But he not only does that, he also wants to take the time to encourage them and exhort them in the opportunity that they have in giving. He doesn't want it to be a cold reminder. He wants to once again talk to them about, guys, this is an incredible opportunity you have. And so in chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, he encourages them through the provoking example of the Macedonians. If you've got your Bible, just turn there a moment. Because I want us to be provoked by the Macedonians because they are provoking. Chapter 8, verse 1. He says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So he sets this scene as he talks to the Corinthians. Look, I just want to show you an example of how the Macedonians have given. I don't don't say this to make you feel guilty, Corinth, but I say this to motivate you. Because the Macedonians, they are struggling financially. They are undergoing a severe test of affliction. They are undergoing extreme poverty. And yet even while they're in that, they are giving passionately. They are giving generously. They are giving joyfully to the Jerusalem Christians, not only according to their means, but way beyond their means. You know, it says at one point that Paul has to restrain them and basically say to this church, no more, please, please stop giving. I've never been in a church quite like that before. But that's what the Macedonians are like. They love the Lord. They're passionate about the Lord. They want to give to his work. And so these guys who are poor are giving their stuff away because they want to see other people blessed. That is encouraging, isn't it? And then in chapter 9, verse 7, Paul encourages them theologically with these words that God loves a cheerful giver. In a sense, he's pointing back to the Macedonians and saying, Corinthians, listen, I want you to know what they did. God loves that because he loves a cheerful giver. And in effect, what he's saying, Corinth, you now have the opportunity to give like that. You know, Sovereign Grace, 2,000 years on, one of the things that I love about this text 
is this opportunity to do something that God loves still stands today. In the same way that he set the Macedonians up as an example and was exhorting the Corinthians to do likewise, because God loves a cheerful giver, 2,000 years on, it's as if he's saying, check out the Macedonians again, sovereign grace, and realize God still loves a cheerful giver. It's still an opportunity we have. We as a church have an opportunity when it comes to taking up offerings like go forward funds to do something that God says, I love that. I love it when you do that. Sovereign grace, I love it when you give in that way. You know, the big question for us then, I think, is how do we do that? How do I actually position my heart to give cheerfully? And that's what I love most about this text. Because this text not only gives us the headline of what God loves, in three verses he then gives us exactly how we can position ourselves to give cheerfully, just like the Macedonians did, and just like the Corinthians went on to do also. See, folks, you are genuinely some of the most generous people I've ever met in my entire life. Now, one of the things that stood out to us about you and has stood out to my wife and I since we started this church and people joined, you are profoundly generous people. Not only to the church, but you care for one another's needs. We've been on the receiving end of your care numerous times, uninitiated by us, but heavily initiated by you. You are generous. And yet as I seek to care for you as a church, I'm presuming that you're like me. And so even though you may be generous, our hearts quickly dust over in this, don't they? We get pulled into the world. We get pulled into materialism. We forget what we're really all about. And suddenly our lives are tempered in our generosity. And I don't want that for us. I want us to be biblically informed. I want us to do all I can as your pastor to position you in your lives so that you can give cheerfully and so that the maker of heaven and earth will look on as you give and say, I love that. Part of my job as your pastor is to prepare you this day in light of that day. It's part of my job to prepare you this day so that when you die or Jesus returns and you stand before him, you receive the words, well done. And that's what I want you to receive. So I have to prepare you this day, in light of that day, to position you for that well done. And here is an opportunity we have to give cheerfully. So how do we do it? Well, three points. Learning from the Apostle Paul. They're simple, but they're important, particularly as we face the opportunity, like the Corinthians face, to give an offering in just a few weeks' time. So three things. How do we position ourselves to give cheerfully? Number one, we need to understand the law of sowing and reaping. If you and I are going to give cheerfully to this fund, first off, we need to understand the law of sowing and reaping. Paul starts verse 9, look again, sorry, chapter 9, verse 6, by saying the point is this. He's really drawing their attention right now. He's saying, listen, regardless of everything else, listen, Corinthians, the point is this. What's the point, Paul? What are you trying to emphasize with that statement? The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. See, folks, the real fuel behind cheerful giving is not a rich uncle or blind irresponsibility. 
Okay, that's not the way it works. It's not like, you know, I'm just going to give cheerfully because I don't even do a budget. I haven't got a clue how much I've got, so I'll just download my bank and you can have it all. That's blind responsibility, irresponsibility. And that's a bad move. And that is not what the Bible is talking about in any way. Likewise, it isn't giving in such a way that we know that our rich uncle or our rich dad is just going to bail us out anyway. So if I give too much, never mind, I'll ask my dad. That's not the answer to cheerful giving. The answer to cheerful giving, the real fuel behind it all, is a very clear understanding of the creation law of sowing and reaping. And that has two facets to it. One facet is the whole premise that where you sow, you will reap. And that's true. And it's a creation law. It's true for Christians. It's true for non-Christians. It's true for everybody who walks the earth. Where we sow, we will automatically reap. So where we sow our time, where we sow our energy, where we, show, where we sow our gifts and abilities and our resources and our finances, where we sow, we will reap in those areas. It's just part of creation law. It's one of the reasons I, I love Brendan's message last week and that image that he painted of that great concert of what it will be like on that day when people are gathered from all around the world, from every tribe and language and nation, And the Lamb will be seated on the throne and for all around the stadium. And as far as you can see, there will be people in different dialects praising God and worshipping the Lamb. I I love that image. The church is so grand. It's, It's that which Jesus died for. It's his bride. It's that which he's building. And even now, now it's in rags and tatters. He's building a wonderful bride for himself who he will purify himself and cleanse. It's no surprise to me then that when it comes to the Bible, the church is biblically defined as always been the primary place where we give to. In the Old Testament, it was the temple. Everybody brought the money to the temple. In the New Testament, right early on in Acts, people get saved. What do they do? They come and they give their money and they lay it at the apostles' feet. The church leader's feet. And they say, you know what? You are the guys responsible for this. You are guys that are going to give an account for this. So I'm giving it to you. I'm not just going to manufacture all that I do myself. No, I'm going to submit to, to you and I'm going to give it to you as to the Lord. And I trust you to do with it as you see fit. The Bible always paints a picture of the church being the primary place we give to. And so where you sow, you will reap. Is that any wonder then that God's designed it that way? If he's building a bride and he's building a great temple and a great body, it shouldn't surprise us that he then says, give then to this. If the church is the center, theologically, of the gospel and seeing the gospel go forward, it shouldn't surprise us that the church then is the primary place that we give to. Because it's his bride that he's building. And I think a cheerful giver understands that. They understand that where I sow, I will reap. I want my local church to reap, so I'm going to sow there. I'm going to sow my energies. I'm going to sow my resources. I'm going to sow my finances. I'm going to sow my gifts. I just want this church to reap because this church is being built into the bride of Christ. I want that to reap. I want people to get saved. I want people to hear the gospel. I want the church to grow. I want pastoral teams to be formed. I want people to be cared for. I want the next generation to be sown into with the gospel. I want them to reap. So I'm going to sow into my local church. The cheerful giver, I think, understands where he sows he will reap. That's not all. The second part of that creation law is that not only where, but the manner in which we sow, we will also reap. Do you see that? 
That's exactly what he's pointing to. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly, how do they reap? Well, sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully, well, how do they reap? Well, bountifully. Paul is saying, you know what, Christchurch and sovereign grace and every church that I've been a part of, if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. And the cheerful giver, I believe, gets that. They understand. Because I want to reap bountifully, how am I going to sow? Well, I'm going to sow then bountifully. See, so often the common question that I think comes into our mind whenever we're faced with an offering is, you know what? How much should I sacrifice and sow into that? And it's a very manufactured question, a normal question. It's one we have to ask. And yet what I love about Paul is in verse 6, before he talks about anything else, his implied question is not how much do you want to sow. His implied question is how much do you want to reap? Do you want to reap bountifully? Then what is your sowing like that? Do you want to reap sparingly? Well, just sow sparingly then. You want to reap nothing? Then give nothing. How do you actually want to reap Folks, in your marriages and in your parenting and your families, let me ask you, how do you want to reap? Do you want to reap bountifully in your marriage? Do you want to reap bountifully in your families? Here's the creation law then. Sow bountifully. Don't expect to have a a great marriage if you see each other for 10 minutes a week. You know what that will result in? You will reap sparingly you will not have a great marriage because the time isn't being sown in. The time isn't being built in. You want to reap bountifully in your families? Then sow bountifully. Get to know your kids. Love your kids. Give them your time, your affections, your energies, your gifts and your abilities. What about your friendships and your relationship with God? Do you want to reap bountifully in those things? Do you want to grow in friendships across this church? Do you want to grow in your friendship with the Lord and your relationship with the Lord? Well, all of us are going to say, well, for sure, I want that. Great. Then sow bountifully. Because the manner in which you sow, you'll reap. You want a great relationship with the Lord? Great. Are you sowing in the same way? Are you sowing in a bountiful way? You want to get to know more people? See, sometimes pastorally people come to me and say, I just feel I've got no friends. Okay, well, that's a harvest. So you've harvested no friends. Let's talk about your sowing. Well, I'm very busy and I've got a lot on and I haven't got time. And, okay. There's nothing the church can do about that. That's you. That's your sowing. You've got to start going to things and getting involved with things. And you want to reap bountifully a friendship? That's great. I want you to reap that. Well, sow bountifully. And in your local church, how do you want us to reap Do you want this church to grow? Do you want this church to move? Do you want this church to be ever increasingly taking the gospel out? Do you want this church to be a church planting church? Do you want this church to reach the next generation? Do you want this church to gather around a group of pastors that are caring for a growing church? Do you want this church to have a thriving youth ministry and children's ministry? Do you actually want this church to work towards having a building that we can call home, that we can center around and we can start to plant churches out of? I do. That's called reaping bountifully. 
So are you sowing bountifully if that's what you want? The manner in which we sow is the manner in which we reap. Folks, I submit to you the cheerful giver understands that. They understand this creation law of sowing and reaping. And that's why they're so cheerful. And that's why they have to be restrained in their giving because they want to give bountifully because they know ultimately our local church will reap bountifully through this. So I just want to keep giving. They understand this law and they apply it and they come to giving that way. If we want to give cheerfully, we need to understand then the creation law of sowing and reaping. But that's not all. Number two, we need to prepare our hearts in advance. It's what we get from verse seven. Look with me. It says, each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Each one must give as he has made up his mind. The NIV says, each man should give as he has decided in his heart to give. What the Apostle Paul is talking about there is giving with careful thought in mind, contemplative prayerful thought so that we can prepare our hearts. Why? Well, so that we ensure that we don't give either reluctantly or under compulsion. That's why as a church, we don't and we never will. We never will. I'm never going to produce figures for you on a monthly basis to let you know how far short or how far over the budget we are. Because that compels you, I think, to give reluctantly or under compulsion because you just think, oh, well, I probably should. We want to motivate by grace. We want to motivate by God's word. And then I'm going to leave it with you. But we're not a business. We're a church. We're a family. And Paul himself explains that, listen, if we just quickly encourage people to give and don't give them a chance to prepare their hearts, then the chances are they will give reluctantly and under compulsion. And I don't want them to do that. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. He doesn't love a giver. He's not amazed at something where people just feel guilty so they give or they give him but they're really reluctant. And so his premise is each one then must give as he's decided in his heart to give. He's got to prepare his heart. She's got to prepare her heart. You know, that's why the Apostle Paul is sending this letter on ahead. That's why he doesn't just rock up and go, surprise, the offering's this week, let's go. You promised it a year ago, okay, the basket's coming around. And he wants to give them time to prepare their hearts. And that's why at Sovereign Grace we'll never have a surprise offering. Don't you hate surprise offerings? Today we need $50,000. Okay, let's get our wallets out, laugh at them, and then start giving. Oh, oh, oh okay. We're 50000 short. My wife and kids won't eat this week. Okay, um, okay now we're going to give out a guilt. The Bible doesn't want us to do that. It wants us to give cheerfully so we have to prepare our hearts in advance and you know the primary reason why i think we need to prepare our hearts in advance is because our hearts have a sinful tendency have you noticed that is it just my heart or does your heart also have a sinful tendency and a sinful tendency at extreme levels when it comes to giving you see when you sit across the table from your heart and you discuss the topic of giving I don't want you to think that you're sitting across the table from some sweet little old grandmother. Because you're not. Your heart is not going to say to you, Oh, oh, the church is having a go-forward fund. Oh, thank you, Lord. The opportunity to give, it's what I've been waiting for. Now, what can I sacrifice for this? Oh, all I want to do is sell everything I've owned and give. Your heart doesn't do that, does it? Mine doesn't either. 
Because our hearts are not some sweet little old grandmother. Our hearts are Vinny, the slick used car salesman. That's who our hearts are. Okay? That's who we're sitting across, across from. When we start to discuss with our hearts giving, Vinny has a few concerns. <laughs> and the Vinny of my heart has many concerns when it comes to giving in this way. To start off with, Vinny brings budgetary concerns to the proceedings of the Go Forward Fund. So Vinny wants to sit me down and say, Dave, I love your heart. This is good. But you're not that wealthy and other people are. And Dave, I've seen your budget because I help you put it together. You can't afford this. <laughs> are you crazy? You own nothing in the world. You know, if your wife and children actually want to go back to England for a holiday, you cannot afford really to give anything ever. So just sit tight. And Dave, you are a preacher. You prepare others to give. So take time out. Take time out for yourself and just receive the blessing of the Lord. You've helped serve Jesus by doing this. He shares budgetary concerns right up front with me. He then proceeds to share sacrificial concerns with me because I have spotted some chinks in the budget that we could stop doing and give that money away. But Vinny's concerned about that because Vinny's thinking that I may not be able to be happy without those things. And Vinny wants to be happy. Because Vinny is really me. And so Vinny wants to be happy about his life. And so he doesn't really want to give up anything. And his concern is if he does give up those things, then his life won't be very good. So he shares those things with me. And then Vinny shares some comfort concerns with me as well. That if I really give how I want to give, if the money that doesn't come through properly into my wage or in the different things it comes through, what am I going to do? Because Dave, you own nothing. You haven't got a house to fall back on. You, you'll probably be packing up with your kids and moving back to the UK and you won't have a job there either, Dave. No, no, no. So, you know, you've probably got to get some savings together. That would be wise. Does, does your Vinny ever produce the wisdom card for you? Because he does it in me. He's like, you know, this isn't to do with generosity. This is to do with being wise. You know, <laughs> if I, under the influence of Vinny, was giving pastoral counsel to the widow who gave her two mites. I would have said, dear, you should keep your last two mites because it's all you've got left and you need to eat. So thanks for your offering. It's not very much anyway. Thanks for offering. Go on, go on, go on, you know. Go on, have a, have a burger. Just do something with your two mites. That's how Vinny operates in my heart. I think Vinny probably operates in your hearts seriously, which is why you're smiling at me. We're all tempted by our hearts, aren't we? And that's why we always need to be weary, I think, about our heart's initial response to the sacrificial opportunities we have to give. Our hearts will rarely respond with enthusiasm. They will rarely be cheerful. And they will let you know they're not cheerful. And if you're going to give cheerfully, you're not going to be able to do it because they're not happy about it. And so what do we have to do? We have to prepare our hearts. We have to talk to our hearts. We have to give our hearts some attention ahead of time. Now, folks, I submit to you, I've been pastor now for, for, for a long time. Most Christians don't give because of theological issues. It's rarely that. When you're aware that somebody's not giving and you sit with them and you say, Do you, are you aware that this is God's money? They go, yeah. Are you aware that God will care for you and that you can trust him as you give faithfully? Yes, I am. I, I believe that. Okay. Are you aware God loves a cheerful giver, that you have the opportunity to do something that he's passionate about? Yes, I do. 
okay, so why didn't you give? Well, most of the time it's not because people disagree with it theologically. Most of the time, I believe, people don't give because they failed to prepare their hearts in advance. They've just listened to them. And the inner lawyer, Vinny the used sour car salesman, comes out and has a lot of things to share. And so they justify why they don't give. Theologically, they believe it's right. But pragmatically, they never go through with it because they fail to prepare their hearts. I don't want us to fail to prepare our hearts. I don't want that. And it's not about the money. It's about the opportunity to do something that God loves. So practically, two suggestions on this by way of application. Number one, take some time out over the next few weeks to meditate on and be encouraged by what God has to say about money and giving. We need to talk to our hearts. We need to communicate to our tendencies what the truth is. Take some time out to meditate on and encourage by what God has to say about money and giving. So Psalm 50, for example, a psalm that just teaches us that everything is the Lord's, that actually he owns absolutely everything. So my bank account is his bank account. My home is his home. My family is his family. Meditate on that. Matthew 6, verse 9 through 24, where Jesus talks just about where your treasure is, there is your heart. Matthew 6, 25 through 33 where Jesus talks about how we don't need to be anxious because he closed the lilies of the field. And if he closed them, how much more will he care for you as his children, as people he loves? In Matthew 12, verses 41 through 44, where we see the incredible example of the widow. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 15, that I've touched on today. Meditate on it. Look at their example. And then number two... Look on your calendar and set aside a time between now and our offering on Sunday the March the 2nd to contemplate and pray about what God would actually have you give. Take the time. Don't just rock up that morning and go, oh, yeah, oh, it's giving week. Um, oof, uh, probably think of a figure. That, that's not going to work. Pick a time in your diary. If you're single, then do it by yourselves. If you're married, do it as a couple and pray through, Lord, what would you have us give back to you, what you've blessed us with? What do you want us to give for your glory? Contemplate and pray about what may the Lord have you sacrifice for the gospel. Contemplate and pray about what God would have you give towards the advancement of his work. Folks, let's be willing to sacrifice. King David once said, I'm I'm unprepared to offer anything into the Lord that's cost me nothing. It's not right if we just look at our budget and we think, well, I've got all this savings so he can have this little bit. That's not it. Biblically, we want to put ourselves in a position where we think, you know what, if, if God doesn't help me, I don't know how this is going to work then. This is really costing me something. That's good. That's exercising trust in the Lord and faith in the Lord. And we need to prepare our hearts to do that. So inform yourself theologically and then provide a time and contemplate and prayerfully, Lord, what would you have me give? What would you have me give to this fund? Number three then, what's the third and final thing that we need to do to help us be cheerful givers? Well, number three, we need to ask God for his abounding grace. Now, folks, unarguably, I think this is the most important point out of all three of them. Look with me at verse 8. 
He says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. My friends, if we are going to be cheerful givers, then I want to encourage you, we need to be people who regularly cry out to God for his grace. We do. That needs to be our stories. Lord, help us. Lord, help me give. You know, if you, if you examine your heart, and as you examine it, you find that you're not cheerful about giving, that shouldn't surprise you. Given indwelling sin in our heart called Vinny, it shouldn't surprise us that we're not wrapped about the whole issue of giving. If you discover as you consider cheerful giving that you are not wrapped about it in any way, that shouldn't be a call for condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. This isn't something we should feel guilty about, but this is something we need to attend the throne of grace on and cry out to God for grace in this giving. We need to look to him and ask him for help. When we realize we're not wrapped about giving, it should be a summons to us to the throne of grace to ask the Lord for help and to ask the one who we see here biblically defined is the one who can make all grace abound to us. My friends, if you want to be a cheerful giver, then ask the Lord for help. Ask him for grace and he will help you. He will come to you in your moment of need. If your heart has a tendency to be deceived when it comes to giving, then ask the Lord for help. Because my heart has that. And it does. My heart gets deceived very quickly. I spend nearly all my week in some shape or form in God's word, seeking to pray and cry out to God for grace for you, for myself, seek to lead this church. I get deceived all the time. A few weeks ago, we were on holiday and our numbucker, and one of the things we do at the start of the year is we always relook at our budget. And part of that is we work out, okay, what, Lord, do you want us to give? And how do you want us to invest into our children? What do you want us to do with the money that you're entrusting to us um, as a family? And one of the things that's happening in, in our year, God willing, this year, is we're actually going to start fostering. And one of the things with fostering is you do get some money off the government. It's not a lot of money, but it's some money off the government. And the first words out of my mouth to Emma was, you know what? With the government providing that money, I doubt you have to tithe off that. Because that's not the Lord, that's the government. And as soon as I say it, Emma looks at me in the way she looks at me when there's heresy coming from my mouth. And as soon as I said it, I, I just realized this is just my heart. I'm deceived within seconds. As if God isn't providing that money. As if, oh, that's just, you know, that's just the government. So, oh, family assistance, that's just the government as well. And my wage, well, that's probably the church. And the church has already given. So, no need to give again. Do you see how deceived you can get so quickly? My heart is deceitful. Vinny will argue with me across the whole thing. And I had to instantly ask my wife for help. I instantly repented of that thought. And we committed to paper that when that money comes in, we're giving off it straight away. Because it's the Lord's. He's entrusting it to us. Sure, it's coming through the government. But it doesn't matter where it comes from. Ultimately, it's all the Lord's. And he's providing it into our home. Our friends, we need to be aware that if your heart has a tendency to be deceived, we need to cry out to God for grace. If your heart has a tendency towards materialism, then ask him for grace. 
If your heart has a tendency to struggle to trust God, to think that I've got to have all this to cope with life and future, you're deceived. You honestly think that God isn't in control and you are? I'll go with God instead. The one who owns all things. Rather than my bank account. But if your heart gets deceived in that like mine, ask him for grace. Ask him for help. And if you are struggling to give cheerfully to the Lord, then cry out to him. And here's the good news. As you cry out to him, you're crying out to the one who enables you to give all grace abounding to you. Do you hear that? That's all inclusive. He's not there to say, oh, look, I might be able to help. He said, I'll help you. Ask me for help and I will help your heart. Listen, God loves a cheerful giver. And there are many reasons to give. Giving gives us the opportunity to point our hearts to things above, gives us the opportunity to trust in the Lord, and it gives us an opportunity to do something that God loves. So in two weeks' time, when it comes to giving, let us come prepared and ready to give cheerfully. Amen? It's not just about what we give. It's the way we do it. And so I want to encourage you, prepare your hearts in advance. Consider the scriptures. Understand the law of sowing and reaping and give off the back of that and informed by that. And in it all, would you, like me, cry out to God for his grace? And would cheerful giving then then be our theme? Let's pray. Lord, as we sang earlier on, you are all I want. And you're all we need. Oh Lord, you do help us in the grace of giving. Lord, when the offering bucket comes around on a week-by-week basis and when we put money into the church bank account, Lord, our worship doesn't stop when we stop singing. It just transitions to something new. Oh Lord, as we offer our lives then as a living sacrifice, as living worship to you, would our giving not be boxed off into a separate category? But would it encompass what our lives are all about, which is worshipping and bringing glory to you? Lord, would you help us then to prepare our hearts in advance? Lord, our hearts that will deceive us. There is a war at work in our lives. That's why Paul tells us, I I do the very things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I want to do. Lord, there there is a war waging in our hearts, so would we not attach this Attack this offering time as if it's peacetime. It is wartime. So Lord, would we go to war with our souls when it comes to giving? Our Lord, help us to prepare then to give cheerfully. Because Lord, we want to please you. And we want to live for you. So help us do this in Jesus' name. Amen.